0: All right. Going to get the show rolling. And uh got some quick stuff to go over and then we're going to have uh Carmela from MTech to chat about some really really awesome stuff. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um but yeah, I mean we've uh we've had quite the week. Like last week I was talking about um all the crazy things that had happened um across the board and I mean of course, you know, we had um, some big events in crypto happened recently with um, the Ripple case, and then even in Hedera specifically, kind of on a high level with um, the proof of concept um, with Shenzhen Bank for the stablecoin remittance test. Um, and then this week, we're going to talk about um, the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia with their. Um, they actually did a pilot. So there's been a lot happening um, in the space when it comes to like these big real world use cases Um, and we're live on Twitter spaces right now and I want to dive into the uh, mega thread on Twitter to see what's going on and what kind of stuff we're going to be chatting about today so of course we're going to be talking about some of that big stuff Um, and hit me up in my DMs as well if uh, anything's wrong with my audio. I'm using a little bit of a different setup, but I think we should be fine. Um, We're going to chat. Brady from Swirls Labs published a great article on the Hedera blog just in regards to um, Hedera's path to decentralization and lots of really great useful insights about the mainnet, how it functions, how it's set up, how everything is brought together. We're going to dive into that. We're going to talk about Elon, a little bit, of course. Um, We're going to talk about a great conversation that was published yesterday, I think, with Max Walker Williams from his new startup, Mint Condition. He was chatting with Mance. Um, He did an interview with Mance and Lehman before, but it was kind of cool to see kind of a one on one with Mance. I'm Always, you know, delighted with Lehman interviews for sure. But there's something like Mance just has different energy and he goes deep into kind of like the early days of Hedera when they were forming. So good stuff there. The May and June governing council minutes are now published with some interesting tidbits. Um, What else we got going on? Uh, The U.S. House Financial Services Committee passing a bill protecting um, crypto self-custody. So another win. I mean, things are things are looking good. You know, when things are happening like this, I'm like, oh, no, things are going well. Arkaya is teaming up with FSCO, so I'll have some updates on that. More kind of ongoing conversation in the ecosystem with the community um, and folks at the HBAR Foundation, kind of finding a middle ground. It's something really healthy I just want to point out and, and kind of touch on a little bit. World Coin, right? People are talking about that. We'll chat about it a little bit. Dovu has a new CEO. Um, Google launches an accelerator for blockchain companies. Um, I got a really interesting breadcrumb from a Twitter user that I want to touch, and I don't want to spoil too much. SaucerSwap has something cool. We got some coupon stuff as well. I mean, it's all happening now. Uh, in the current HBAR price, what is that at right now? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. cents it's seven o'clock eastern and with that good evening from ottawa canada everyone my name is brandon davenport aka it's brandon d it is sunday july 30th and you're listening to hashgraph enthusiast news and rumors episode 85 step function two coming soon we don't know maybe it's a weekly show where we cover the top stories related to hedera HBAR and everything in between. Listen live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other platforms to hear past episodes. Get all the info you need about the show at itsbrandandandd.com/slash HBAR. And for folks listening live right now, check out the News and Rumors Mega Thread. It's pinned up in the Jumbotron. We're going to dive into each story. Also, take a moment to share this Twitter Spaces with your friends. And if you've got some interesting news people should know about, click the little comment button at the bottom right. Maybe share a photo of where you're listening from. I mean, it's a vibe. The more the merrier. Spread the word. Um, And for folks listening to the recording um, on those podcast platforms, wherever you find yourself, leave a comment and break down your thoughts on what we talk about today. Let's keep the conversation going. Um, I really don't want to delay this any further. Um, I want to bring her up to uh, to chat about um, all the stuff that she's working on at Tech. But first, I just wanted to kind of paint a bit of a picture here before we dive in, because when I started my journey um, as a Hashgraph enthusiast back in 2020, it was a small but exciting world, right? It was a little community. Um, there were these early and interesting real-world use cases, not the same stuff you'd see in crypto at the time. This is also a time when conversations surrounding CBDCs had started kind of heating up and I adopted many of the opinions of those around me in kind of Canada and the U S you know, the government is controlling and tracking my money. This goes against everything crypto is about. Um, and it's when I started learning about project new dawn after seeing it mentioned in the Hedera community that I started to understand the scope of CBDCs a little more. It's, an initiative to address the pain points of a cash-based population, including unbanked individuals and merchants. That's what Project New Dawn's about. And that word unbanked is when I started hearing more and more, and I realized a lot of these CBDC initiatives weren't about rushing to replace our existing financial systems. They were to lift up folks all over the world without the foundational access to financial systems to begin with. It was also cool to see the Microsoft logo next to the Hedera logo on a website back then. And I mean, there was a lo- we started connecting dots and all those types of things. And in the list of advisors for Project New Dawn, there was Carmel Cadet, previously at IBM as a business development executive, right? So another dot that kind of was connected. Um, and she's now the CEO of this new startup, EmTech, which I've learned I've been pronouncing incorrectly. I got a couple of DMs from people. I was saying EM Tech, so EmTech. Um, and, it, and, I, and by the way, I was doing that for years on countless episodes of this show. So um, And basically, MTech provides CBDC and digital cash tooling for innovation, and their clients and engagements include the Bank of Ghana, Central Bank of Nigeria, Central Bank of Bahamas, and the U.S. Federal Reserve System. They've just launched their CBDC innovation kit to the world. That's big. And this stuff is leveraging and being built on Hedera. And that's what this is all about. When we talk about real-world use cases taking a long time to come to fruition, this is the process. It always pays to keep watching and keep up with these big projects because there's big updates you might miss. I've been following this project for a long time, and I'm happy to have Carmel with me on the show today. So... Carmel, where are you calling in from? How's it going? I hope everything's going well.
1: Hi, Brendan. Well, it's a pleasure to finally make it. Um, I know the community has been so excited about what we're building. And definitely thank you for the support and thank you for the love. Um, I'm currently in New York City. And where I am, uh, where is uh, essentially home um, and with my husband and my son. Uh, but that you would usually find me um, across the African continent, um, working with our clients and really developing and um, executing our vision. Um, Thank you so much for uh, putting in context the journey and, of course, the perception around central bank digital currency, CBDC. Um, That's something that, interestingly enough, I got super passionate about because it was a light bulb moment for me. Um, Being originally from Haiti, where we have 27% banking penetration rate, Um, I grew up in a very cash-based environment. And when I moved to the US, I became fascinated at how access to capital changes lives. Um, If you think about how people access capital for education, for healthcare, um, to grow their careers, and it really impacts people's lives. And uh, since 2000, early 2000s, I had in my mind I need to find a way to expand access to capital to people outside of the U.S. Because I truly believe—that's my personal belief—that no matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or how much money you make, you should have access to good financial products. So. That's um, kind of taken a, a long, a long path to get here. But that's why for us, DBDC is a great tool that um, we're trying to navigate through, but also understanding the risks and the fears around um, government and, you know, some misconceptions as well and some confusion between government and central banks and how they work together and how they don't sometimes. Uh, but it's an exciting journey.
0: It's journey it, it, it's really been exciting to watch because again like i said is but i feel like most there what i had so many knowledge gaps around cbdc's and i get the sense that the western world is in a bubble when it comes to discussing cbdc's and i wanted to kind of know like it, it is it the case that we really need to look at this through a wider lens because it feels that my idea of a cbdc is going to be limited to the experiences I've had growing up and living in Canada. It just feels like the folks truly in immediate need of technology, like you're building on Hashgraph aren't on my continent in a lot of ways. Like it does feel like the true innovation is happening outside of this bubble. And so seeing, you know, project new Dawn and M tech in particular, and a lot of these other use cases being built on Hedera that's been a key takeaway for me is like, the scope is so much bigger than I realized. And I just wanted to maybe touch on that a little more and kind of get your thoughts on, on kind of that topic, because I, I get that feeling.
1: Oh, man, thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for this question. Because, um, you know, I come from a developing country. Uh, but I've been in the US for 20 years. I mean, the United States have given me um, the best opportunity. My, my mother left because of political reasons. And I definitely, I know for sure, given where, you know, looking at my family members now and, and some of my friends that are still in Haiti, I know that my life would have been very, very different if I had stayed in Haiti. So, you know, I'm the only child. My mom was the only child. She was a single mother. Um, and one of the best decisions she made was to, you know, put me on a plane, <laughs> shipped me um, to the U.S. and then sold everything, you know, that we had in our home, moved to the U.S. with 2000 in her pocket, $1,000 in her pocket. And we started from the bottom, right? I barely spoke English when I moved to the U.S. Um, I was doing my homework, you know, French and English, kind of, I was coming, coming home with a French-English dictionary every day for the first three months to understand how to do my homework. Um, so, you're right. There is a context. There is definitely a context and experience that drives what we're building here. Um, so, when you think about what do you, how the U.S., or if you're a U.S. You know, citizen or you live in the U.S. all your life, um, you definitely have a particular experience with money that is very different from how a lot of the rest of the world experiences money access to capital i remember when i first got a first 500 hundred dollar credit card from bank of america in the us it literally changed my life that's how i paid for my first college credit um you know we couldn't get you know we didn't have green cards so we couldn't get stud- i couldn't get student loans so i could only pay for one class at a time and i was i always worked full-time my mom always worked full-time and i went to school in the evening Um, so it took me longer to finish school because of that, but I couldn't get access to student loans. Um, and access to a credit card is what allowed us to not only get access to some capital as my mom started, you know, working, um, as a nurse and I was going to school, we began to be able to build our credit and got a small apartment eventually. And eventually we got our employment authorization card and you know just growing and assimilating if you will, into the American culture um, and experienced it to the fullest even you know bought a house at the height of the market in 2007 um, just for us to lose the house around 2008 as the market crashed Um, so going through the process of mortgages you know second mortgages and so on so really experience the American way of financing and accessing capital in order for us to purchase assets. Um, of course, there are many things that can go wrong if you have too many, too many, too much debt and too many credit cards and how your credit can impact that. Um, but done well, it's something that can help build generational wealth, right? So my mom today owns her condo. And one of the things that kind of gets her super excited is to be able to leave that to my son. Um, and the how the properties that we had in Haiti, you know, that's something that we had to let go because of the conditions in our country. So it really gives you perspective. So I tell people, you know, I got into this business not because, you know, I'm an undercover agent for the CIA and the NSA, and I want to, you know, usher in government control <laughs> of people. Really, what we're trying to do um, is... Is the fact that we, I, I discovered right, a technology that could potentially um, really expand access and bypass legacy obstacles and legacy lack of infrastructure, physical infrastructure that is traditionally required in order for people to have access to finance, but also allow you know to rethink how the rules um, and how the regulation and how the frameworks have been designed uh, because they were designed 100 years ago, over 100 years ago, um, and they have not worked well for everyone around the world. So when you think about emerging markets, you know, especially where we spend a lot of time, Africa, about 90% of transactions are still cash-based. That's still, you know, with mobile money and telecommunication infrastructure being employed that made a big dent into into that that problem but there's still so much more to do because it's one thing to get access to a digital wallet it's another thing to get access to credit it's another thing to get access to um, affordable investment products uh, you know insurance products there's a bit of a cultural you know education that needs to happen there but the access itself expanding that is very important so yes you know being in the U.S. I totally understand If you've never experienced any other way and the lack of financial credit, um, the fact that you have the SBA, the Small Business Administration in the U.S., that doesn't really exist as an institution around the world. Um, And the fact that you have a government um, and institutions and, and, um, you know, structures that enable small businesses to get access to credit, that doesn't exist around the world right? You look at something like PPP doing, doing the economic, doing COVID, I literally, you know, was able to make payroll one month because I was able to get PPP loans. So those things really, really matter and they make a difference. Um, and when we think about DLT, um, especially the way Hedera, we can get into that difference, you know, we can get that into more, but the, the way Hedera ended up building um, makes it much easier to deploy Um, Because when I look at different protocols, managing nodes, deploying nodes, having institutions, blockchain is so different, having, you know, kind of a consortium, having to agree and put governance in place, very, very, very difficult to do. Um, So really excited about the fact that we get to think about modern infrastructure for payment, right, for how money moves. In addition to that, and that's for anyone, that's for whether you're developed, underdeveloped, you know, the FedNow system is, if you ask me, still behind um, compared to where the U.S. should be right now. Um, You know, Nigeria has had instant payment system for years. Um, Ghana has instant payment systems for years. And I know the Fed has been has had this project, you know, on the dot for about seven to eight years now. It has taken a long time to come to bear, but innovation moves very fast. So by the time you do it today, you're almost already obsolete. So how do you future-proof? How do you think forward? Um, And then there is a component of it that is there is a true need, a true need to digitize the most used asset that people use around the world, which is cash. And my dream was, how can we use blockchain to digitize cash? If we can do that successfully, can we provide financial inclusion by design? And that's something that I'm working on every day.
0: That's amazing. And, and I think that right there, something that you said is really interesting to me is when you mentioned that the majority of payments in in these areas that are really thirsty for this innovation is cash, you always think of, well the need for offline payments, right? The need for payments that that aren't connected to the internet, because that's inherently kind of um, a key component of cash. And then also that self-custody component, the privacy component of cash. I'm curious to kind of hear like your thoughts on maybe potential offline cash type use cases on Hedera or other networks, or maybe some things that you're looking at, or just your thoughts in general. I think that's a uh, aspect of this that is that I think so many people in the ecosystem are curious about?
1: Sure. So offline payments um, have a broad set of benefits. Of course, um, providing access to people who, who are not digitally savvy, um, who are not fully onboarded into the digital world, how can you bring that innovation closer to them? Um, so when you look at companies like Ademia. Um, And you have um, other companies like GND that are um, traditional cash printing, paper printing companies. Um, They have certain um, benefits around um, how can they bring hardware assets or thinking about loading um, digital currencies and digital tokens into hardware wallets. Um, One thing I'm really excited about is since we launched the CBDC Innovation Kit a couple weeks ago, we are seeing some Hedera use cases that are going to start testing. How can we bring hardware wallets? How can we bring um, other wallet uh, capabilities that can make the token available offline? Um, In addition to that, I'm very curious about how offline um, CBDC and offline capabilities can provide a bit more control and privacy to people um, on how they can take their tokens if they want off the blockchain, off the ledger for their own reasons. So imagine you go into an ATM, right? So the moment you go to an ATM, you go from being, you know, having money into the banking system. Um, into having cash in your hand. And you're taking responsibility for that. The bank is no longer responsible. If you lose it, you're on your own. No one is going to kind of back, back you out. Versus if you keep your money in the bank, you have some level of security at least up to the insured amount. And then after that, it's, it's kind of a bit risky. But for people who don't, have, most people who don't have 250 k you have a, a security component. So there are People, giving people choices is something that that's very important to me. I think that's the best um, way forward, if you think about it, when it comes to letting people choose how they want to manage their money, um, what they want to do with it, um, and how they want to insure it. Whether they believe that they're best positioned to insure it, um, even if they're using you know, a sovereign currency that is issued by a central bank, or if they are using Bitcoin that is mined by a decentralized network, if they're using any other type of assets, then it's their choice on how they manage it, right? Um, offline capabilities can be very interesting in, in that sense. And then, but there are also, there are a lot of things to figure out. Um, one example I like to use is, you you know, if you, if you bring offline capabilities Um, to someone who's not digitally savvy, um, there are some trade-offs. So imagine if the the solution is to say, if you take the token off the ledger, because now it's offline, right? Or off ledger um, in a way that you don't need a um, internet connection to use it. You don't need electricity other than to recharge the device that you're using. That's always going to be needed. But you find an alternative that does not require you to have network connectivity to use it there are some trade-offs there there are some trade-offs that have not yet been solved that i know a lot of people are working through but how do you reconcile right how do you reconcile the ledger um if the amount is being drawn out so do you completely empty out the wallet that's on the ledger and then treat it as a prepaid card right that you give someone offline and therefore the ledger and the issuer of the token is not responsible for whether you lose it or not that's a big risk right that has been the case for bitcoin i've lost money in bitcoin i've lost bitcoins i've sent money to wallets that people did not receive on the other end and that's the risk that you take with that i there was no support number you know call call center number for coinbase for a long time And I processed transaction on Coinbase, and there was no way for Coinbase to help me retrieve the tokens. And that's just the nature of the game. For CBDCs, given that we're talking about cash, people want it to be like cash, can you provide a way for you to have recovery mechanism? That would be a nice benefit compared to paper cash, right? But how do you do that if you're purely offline? So there are some pros and cons. Um, There is a security component and then there is the loss component, the recovery. If you want to be offline because you want your privacy, if you want privacy, then the ledger cannot know whether you were the one who had those tokens when you lose them. When you come back and say, I lost my tokens, nobody can help you because we did not know it was you in the first place, right? So there are a lot of trade-offs. But I think as you're... as We're working through the innovation component of it. What I'm excited about is to see what the ecosystem can build around digital cash. We're not particularly trying to solve every problem. The problem that we're trying to solve, we're very, very clear on that. How can we digitize and use a Web3 stack for the cash infrastructure itself and making sure that is open, unlike how it is before or right now, um, how do we make sure that is open in order for us to decentralize the access of it? And I think with that, you're going to see a plethora of innovation and then you know governance and regulatory framework on how to make it resilient. But I think it's going to be way more inclusive, giving people way more choices on how they manage the cash in a digital way.
0: Fascinating. Okay, so there's... So much stuff there. Um, my brain just goes right away. So, when you, so there's two things right away. So, the first thing is when you're talking about kind of that agency over your assets, that kind of control, and also the recoverability component, we know that um, over at Swirls Labs, um, Lehman Baird talking about his new um, decentralized recovery, um, you know, decentralized custody. Um, Aspect, as uh, um, you know, uh, library and development stack that they're putting out for everyone basically open sourced. And just a quick recap for folks is like, just as Carl said, it's like it's so crazy in crypto still. How if you you know you lose your keys, you lose everything. There's no option to recover it, or you can have someone have custody over your stuff, and that has its own problems. You've probably seen people on Twitter screaming at you to get your stuff off Binance or whatever, and with Lehman's system with DREC, basically you have these helpers, and there's a helper could be a family friend or it could be a bank or it could be your lawyer or whomever it is that can help you get your stuff back and and, and Carmel, I'm curious like this new type of technology entering the fold, do you see that impacting and and maybe um, accelerating or expanding what you can do with, with offline kind of digital cash?
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, the recovery component is a big, big problem that uh, people haven't solved yet, right? And I think it's, a, it's of course, um, true to form for, for men's and women to kind of like take that on. Um, it's an, same thing with the identity component. I think that's a very interesting side as well. How can you leverage decentralized identities um, in order for you to either validate and allow others to help validate who you are um, in the case that you need it? Right? And I'm I'm always thinking about, you know, not how do we not let the 10% stop the how we could help the 90%, right? And those cases around recovery offline capabilities. A lot of people can manage their funds. A lot of people are not going to lose it. A lot of people can have a balance between their bank accounts and digital cash for smaller payments or something that they just hold, you know, in a different form as assurance the same way you would think about keeping money under your mattress. If you still do that, right. You would want to have a, a combination of things, um, but the, the recovery component, and when Hedera is talking about this, is how do you um, enable the ecosystem to validate in an independent way, right? And that also requires governance. And I think you can only do that when you have good governance, right? When you have a trusted system, that's when you can actually tackle those problems. Because if, I'm, if I need to pay a miner, to validate me, you could see how there might be conflict here. Right. Instead of having a component that is truly independent and to say, and if I show up and say, look, I lost my tokens, or for whatever reason I got hacked," here's how much I had in my wallet. Is there a way for an independent ecosystem to say, yes, this is what happened. And that wallet had a balance as of this date. And we can validate that this was the wallet and this was the owner eventually that was. There's a, and of course, at that point, I think one, one thing that's very important for people to realize is that at some point along the lines, when you, when you want to tap into this, there is a component that needs to verify who you are, right? So that's the trade-off sometimes around how do we enable an ecosystem when we need it to validate who we are while not having to divulge or keep our privacy for the ninety percent of the time, or for maybe a hundred percent of the time, if we are, if we never need it,
0: right? Absolutely, that that makes a lot of sense. And and I mean, on this kind of topic of privacy and ownership and these different things, I wanted to to circle back a little bit on kind of the topic of what's the what's kind of the sentiment about these types of technologies, not just from the conversations that that you know i'm seeing in my twitter feed but also on the other side right because along your journey you've met with many folks in government and at central banks and probably regulatory agencies and i'm curious if you could paint us a picture on how these folks generally view you know dlt crypto and cbdcs or at least kind of the sense you get do they view it as a threat to an existing system and resist Or as an opportunity to exert more control over the population? Or are their views more measured, rational, and aligned with us? I think this is kind of something I'm trying to grapple with myself.
1: Yeah. So let me me start by saying that there will always be good governance and bad governance. Okay? Let me start with that. So I won't speak to say every central bank and every government will never do anything wrong. I'm not naive and we shouldn't be either. Um, However, the influencers and the leaders and the, what I like to call the modern central bank is not in the business of wanting to control people. I think people don't realize how legally restricted central banks are. They get their legal mandate. They exist through legal mandate and they can only do what governments allow them to do. And I think if you're in the US and watching what's going on right now with the Fed, this is not an easy task, right? If you have good governance, um, you will always find it very hard to change laws. I mean, that's why regulation takes a very long time to pass sometimes, right? We're putting something through Congress or parliament, you know, look how well respected and ha- happy everyone is about Mika in Europe is because it, that was a big, heavy lift to do, but it's been years in the making and it's been transparent and, it's been, um, and it, there's been an engagement with the ecosystem on how to do that. I totally get the fear that people have, especially what you're, when you're watching around the world. And there are so many news every day, especially with, with social media now, that kind of reminds us that we shouldn't sleep like I like to say, we should actually stay and and should not get complacent about what could happen. However, the conversation that is publicly being, um, or that is being kind of making its way through the public, I think even, not even behind closed doors anymore, um, is that the central banks realize that there's a trust problem And how do they address that, it's something that um, will take, will come over time. And the communication has not always been something that they have done well. I am of the personal belief that central banks have a major PR problem um, and that there are certain things that they just don't do. For example, today, every financial system runs on a central banking infrastructure, Let's be real, right? If a central bank wanted to control you today, if, they, if that was the business, they could. So then when I say that, people say, well, fine, but CBDC is going to make it easier. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it will actually make it harder. The beauty of Web3, I think, and especially when it comes to distributed ledger technology, and the openness, the ones that are more open instead of opaque, really, in a way, can provide some natural hedge right, against what a central bank can and cannot do. Um, and it's a very complicated issue because central bank as the main financial institution that the rest of the financial infrastructure or financial ecosystem runs on in a particular country Has a clear responsibility, and but there's also national security issues that they have to take into consideration, right? Other countries may take advantage of what they do in order for them to topple their ecosystem and their economies. Whether you agree with it or not, you will always find people on either side of an argument to say that. So then, a central bank is thinking, okay, so I have a duty to provide financial infrastructure to citizens i have an economy to try to help to boost let's not debate macroeconomic policies no one wants to be a central banker okay you don't want to be a clinton powell (laughs) right i don't want to be kristen lagarde it's a very tough job i mean we can be on twitter and talking about it all day but no one will sign up for the job okay but at the end of the day you have an innovation that's happening, that's introducing something that is running globally via codes that you can't particularly see, it's very attractive for the freedom component of it. But you also have to admit, it's a very, very threatening component to stability. And for the most part, especially in developed markets, We have a lot of stability. We have more stability than we've ever had when it comes to our financial systems. Most of us were not impacted by SVB. We were more impacted by FTX. We were not impacted by SVB for FTX and Binance and everything that happened there, I could go on for days. But you have a financial system that has some a framework that gives you some level of stability. When you go to sleep at night, you're not expecting tomorrow that your money is going to be gone. And I think sometimes we take that for granted.
0: That's that's a really great point. It it goes back to kind of, I think the realization I'm having that a lot of people are having is, you know, they're, you know, and and even just what you're saying is realizing the the conversations around. How much control do central banks have over our lives, and whether they're using a CBDC or not, are kind of two separate conversations. There's not that much of a correlation. You're you're right that they could exert that control kind of now if they wanted to, and the argument could be made that CBDCs could make that easier to do, or it could make it harder to do. It's it I'm it, it's it yeah I'm, I'm realizing now it's kind of two separate issues, and yeah, it's not always about re you know reinventing what we have there's places that just don't have any of this infrastructure or, or close to what we have that this is the, this type of CBDC infrastructure, leveraging DL, DLT is just the best starting point. Um, Cause what we have is outdated. Um, so it's just, it's really fascinating. And I mean, what like, so I want to unpack the M tech CBDC innovation kit. I'm very curious can you explain the main problem you guys are solving, who that problem you're solving is for, and what the next phase looks like, and maybe why the Hedera community should really be excited about this?
1: Oh, okay. So I'm happy to to jump into that. When, when you look at the CBDC projects that are happening around the world, um, you, you're having certain technologies that are being used that are not ideal for the use case. I'll say that. Um, in addition to that, if you look around right now and search any CBDC project right now, other than the BIS project, which is Project Roslyn, but that's still behind closed doors, there are no open there are no open stacks to even test with to even understand what the CBDC mean? So problem number one, we really wanted to bring CBDC closer to FinTech ecosystems in order for them to start imagining and start realizing what CBDC could mean for them. I think there's an amazing opportunity for FinTechs. And I say FinTechs because banks have a particular structure today that is very hard to move away from. And then second, I think most banks are becoming fintechs and then fintechs are becoming banks. So when I say fintech, it's more the use of technology per se. But I think there's amazing opportunity for fintechs to build around digital cash because there's about $10 trillion of cash that is the most secure asset that you can access because it's central bank money that is in paper today. So imagine if fintech ecosystem could build instead of the central banks having to put their own apps out And you see those things are not particularly taking very well. People love their fintech apps. So go meet people where they are, let the fintech ecosystem build around that and innovate around that and let new products emerge. So we wanted to bring, especially open our technology stack to fintechs for them to start exploring new possibilities. The second thing is central banks don't want to provide CBDC directly that's an interesting,
0: part. I don't think people realize. Whoa. Okay. That's that's okay. So just to take a quick pit stop here. So that I just had a little light bulb moment here. You explain that is what, what this innovation kit is about is it's about um, a vision where it's not, you know, to put into context, you know, I'm in Canada here. It's not the the government of Canada goes, Oh, here's the new digital cash app from the government of Canada. It's like, Oh, I'm not going to use that. It's going to be crap versus, some other fintech app I'm already using, like Wealth Simple or something like that, be able to leverage this playground you guys have put out where they can start to develop these, these types of solutions and offer it through their app, which I would be much more likely to use. And it's almost as if the central banks and the government is kind of, it, it, it might make more sense for them in that way. They maybe don't want to be as hands-on as we think.
1: They, they are not built to be hands-on. They are not hands-on today. Um, the problem, however, is that the access to central bank infrastructure has been very, very restricted. If you look at WISE, which I thought was a, such a, a perfect example, which Now launching, FedNow had a list of early adopters and you saw a lot of community banks and credit unions and you saw WISE penning an op-ed Making the case for why Fed now should open more access to non-bank financial institutions, because they actually did that in the UK. So the UK central bank has a uh, access for fintechs. They have provided some structure to fintechs, but it's it's it works for Wise, and they've been able to get access to very low cost capital. Because the central bank charges, you know, a fraction of of the cost that, for example, ACH system or, um, you know, SWIFT or the SWIFT component or the switches charge, the banks end up charging a higher fee to fintechs that connect to them. So there are multiple layers here that if we can actually break through that, which is the beauty of blockchain and DLT, right? Kind of how do you, you know, kind of remove some of the intermediaries, some of the layers that have been put in place because you need to connect to different systems. They all siloed up and said, if a central bank has an open distributed ledger, they have their clear trusted token released on an open ledger, meaning that you can verify which token is really a CBDC. And then you can have FinTechs plug into that then you get into a world where cash becomes digital and embedded in almost every app that you can use. And you decide whether you want to use it or not. The same way you go on Amazon and you select PayPal or Apple pay or anything else. Imagine a world that where you actually don't need a bank account where you could actually use your digital cash wallet to pay for Amazon purchases. So, and, and central banks are on the record of saying that. I, I mean, I think, um, uh, Great member of the Hedera community um, captured a panel that I moderated in Ghana last year with the HBAR Foundation um, and the head of the FinTech Innovation Office at the Bank of Ghana saying exactly that, that look, we, you're not going to see a Bank of Ghana app, right? And what we want to do is to see the ecosystem come build new solutions around cbdc we don't we're not in the business of providing financial products to individuals we provide infrastructure for banks to plug into to do their settlements more efficiently but we want when it comes to retail solutions fintechs please start thinking about what you guys are going to build around digital
0: cash i love that and i mean Folks are digging this interview. I'm getting some great feedback about this. So if uh, anyone's enjoying this, make sure to share the uh, spaces. Uh, we're we're going to land this thing soon. Um, but, I mean, you've got this CBDC Innovation Kit launched. Major milestone, obviously, for Tech. But I want to get a sense of where Tech is at in its current roadmap right now, right? Like, how far have you come? How much farther is left to go? How early is this kind of industry in space? and what is kind of like the big goal for Mtech? I'm, I'm interested for folks listening to kind of get a little bit of a snapshot right now.
1: Oh man, what a tough question. Um, I mean we have big dreams, right? So uh, that's that's why this is this is such a tough a tough one. I mean, we are we just celebrated our fourth year anniversary. Um, when we started, I had the opportunity to work with the Central bank with Bank of Bahamas um, on their um, project Sand Dollar. Um, and the team that's working and developed the solution did amazing. Um, and just to give some, some context, I know you at the beginning you, you mentioned a few central banks. Um, MTech did not exist yet when uh, we at IBM won the Central Bank of Bahamas opportunity. So the company that ended up um, getting selected for Central Bank of Bahamas was Enzia. And I know the team very well. We worked together, architected this thing. Um, it was a long shot. It was a very long shot. You know, I came to my desk one day and we said, let's go for it, let's go for the RFP response. And we ended up winning. I mean, we competed with, we competed at the time with um, Ripple, with Consensus. With bid. Oh
0: wow! So this this was like a this was like a, a a bid, a pitch, an RFP, like for for this. That's fascinating.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure. It it was very well organized and very well managed by the Central Bank of Bahamas. Big kudos to them. They had their timeline. They stuck to it. They select. They put um, a um, expression of interest first, which our CTO responded to. And then we went for the request for proposal. I will never forget. This was the longest 36 hours of my, uh, kind of 48 hours of my day of my life, actually, because I had to travel to Tokyo for a quick meeting for IBM with um, SoftBank. And then the time zone was killing me. And the RFP response was due the next day. It was fascinating. Best experience of my life. Um, But yes, we pitched and I was down there in Bahamas presenting and we actually won. It was a surprise to all of us. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. So it was also a surprise to IBM, but we won. And what we ended up seeing is a central bank willing to stick their neck out to go do this. And they wanted a blockchain solution, you know, very early days. That was 20, 2018, 2019. Um, But, you know, as we, as I saw the opportunity, I decided to leave MTech because I said, if a central bank, if central banks are willing to try blockchain technology to digitize their and modernize their payment infrastructure, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And for me, coming in from the Caribbean, understanding the market and understanding the financial inclusion problem, I saw it, I could not unsee it. So sure enough, I left, M- I left IBM and started M-Tech hit the ground, started talking to the central banks, got hired by the Central Bank of Bahamas for a particular scope, which was great. And then we started talking to central banks. What we ended up with is not just central bank digital currency, by the way, which now four years in, a lot of the central bank digital currency providers and players are realizing central bank digital currency alone does not solve the problem. When you talk to central banks, you're realizing that there is a transformation happening right now going into Web3, while central banks were still in Web1, if you will. A lot of the processes are still paper-based. Uh, I mean, the, even the Fed does not know how to answer ecosystem players on how to access So that's,
0: that's, I just want to touch there, real quick. that's really interesting what you just said, and I think puts things into a lot of context is. A lot of times in kind of the crypto world, people go, "Oh, businesses are trying to migrate from Web two to Web 3. But in a lot of cases, with some of these like really big use cases, it it is a leapfrog moment from Web one to Web three. So that that's very that's a key insight there.
1: Major, major. I mean, you're looking at you're looking at Fed now. Essentially, they went into Web two a little bit with Fed now. Right. Um, I think with the APIs and with the ecosystem engagement and so on, but the DLT component brings a very, very different um, kind of nature, if you will, when it comes to the same financial transactions, but new risk um, or different risk being managed, having to be managed differently. Given that you're more 24-7, you have more players in, in the ecosystem, you have, you know, stable coins that are backed by deposits, you have stable coins that are backed by crypto, you have, you know, algorithmic stable coins, and those things are all new. And as a regulator, I remember that was a conversation that kind of got me into the regulatory sandbox, I remember sitting down with one of the regional central banks in Africa and, you know, kind of pitching and say, blockchain is coming You guys, this is the best thing that's going to happen to central bank. Here's what Bahamas is doing and so on. And then the, the response was, yes, we get that, but we hear this thing called Bitcoin and we wake up in the morning and two or $300 million just left the country. We are not the U.S., right? Our economy cannot sustain that. How do we get our arms around that? How do we understand this innovation that's happening before we can even think about how do we bring our own innovation? How do we bring innovation into what we're doing? So that's where the regulatory sandbox idea really came from. As far as we need the ecosystem, we need the policy, and then we need our own stack to be more modern. And that's what we call modern central banking infrastructure. And that's what MTech is. We are a modern central banking infrastructure company. And we are technically the only one right now. I don't anticipate that to stay to stay at this forever. Um, but we took a shot at thinking about central banks as a customer segment, which most people never do. <laughs> people either run away from central banks or are scared of them, never want to think about them. Um, but this is the opportunity that we see. And we think if we can modernize, if we can take a long-term view to make sure that um, regulation works for innovation and innovation is safe for people, that combination is very powerful. And this is the best place for us to impact that.
0: Right on. Yeah, it seems that the best forms of innovation are driven by necessity. And I think that that really paints a picture, I think, that a lot of the most exciting things in this space are going to be happening all over the world um and i mean you've mentioned this is i want to bring it back in kind of to the the kind of hedera space as we as we wind things down here um and i mean i've got so many news stories after i after i'm done speaking with carmel guys that i have to go over so i i'm gonna get people going like oh the show's too long i don't care guys this is a great conversation so um now you no no the, We're going to have to do a part two at some point because like this CBDC stuff, it's so I maybe it's just because there's so much happening right now, but I just get this like information overload and actually being able to have a like that's why I love having this show. Honestly, I just I made this show as an excuse so I can like have conversations with folks like yourself so I could just kind of learn like about these things. And and in, in a short conversation, you just learn so much. Like I already feel like I have a much better idea about like what CBDCs are about, where Hedera comes into the picture, and like a bit of a call to action for myself to really make way more of an effort to kind of expand my my horizons when I'm looking for cool things happening um, in in the crypto space. A lot of the times those things aren't happening in my backyard, you know what I mean? So that's that's really what it's about. But I mean, just in kind of the Hedera thing, I think something that people find really fascinating and I wanted to kind of take a moment to touch on was, You've mentioned a few times over the years that you do not hold any H bar, even though you're building the future of CBDCs using Hedera. I think I know the reason. I think a lot of people know, but I'm curious to kind of hear you thinking about it, just so kind of folks can kind of understand that that component of it and kind of your position and everything.
1: Oh, uh, thanks for asking. Great question. I mean, I I always wanted. Um, to feel comfortable walking into a client and talking to a client and said, we have the best stack because it is the best stack. Not because we have a bag that is going to go up if you actually buy our stack. Right. Um, That for me is way more important than holding a token and, for us to actually have a price component that might be perceived as conflicting that matters a lot to me and that integrity into when i walk to central bank and this is why people sometimes people ask me it's like are you in a hedera company i said no we're not we have no exclusivity deal with hedera we don't hold hbar we hold hbar for for gas fees right so we have to re-up because we are, people don't think that we're having TPS. The beauty of it is that you guys can't tell. But, <laughs> you know, we have to re-up on our, on our wallet to pay for gas fees, for the testing that we're doing, for the innovation that we're doing. And I think with the innovation kit, there are going to be trans- more transactions running on mainnet and testnet. Um, because some, some transactions we, we find we want to be able to test the performance of mainnet. Um, but some transaction we do on testnet, so we we do need age bar for for those transactions. But personally, um, I I don't hold any age bar because I don't want that perception of conflict, and that's very important to the business. It's very important to me.
0: Right on. Yeah, I I, I can relate to that hundred percent. I mean, as that credibility, and it's a tough spot to be in. Like at, at, at this, really kind of when you're on the the bleeding edge of technology. There already is so much fear from so many people when when you're talking about things that they might not be knowledgeable in, and sometimes the best opportunity to build trust with a prospective client or, or account or anything like that is to give them advice that goes against your own best interest. It shows kind of your true character, and I think that alleviating yourself of that, I think it's a good move. I think it surprises some people, but I don't know. I think it's a good move. Um, especially for someone in your position.
1: I, I hope people understand that. I mean, it's it's it has nothing to do with whether the token is good or not or whether people should hold it or not. Absolutely not. I mean, the computing power. This is a new form of computing power. The same way you buy into Microsoft, you know, stocks, because you believe in Microsoft as a company, I think in the future, people are, might start thinking about Um, gas fees and tokens that are used as gas fees, even if ecosystem holders hold them or individuals hold them and buy them to hold them, um, they play have clear utility, right? And that utility is absolutely something that we're actually tapping into. We need the token 100%. That's the computing power that we're buying into. So the same way I buy cloud, Packages and I pay Microsoft every month for cloud uh, computing power. Is the same way I think of having um, edge bars for the purpose of gas fees.
0: Love it. That's a great way to think about it. And just as we kind of wind things down here, I have to ask you because I mean, it's it's I think it's top of mind for so many people. But you've probably seen the uh, the, the mirrored orbs around with people scanning their eyeballs, and there's world coin and. I was just curious, like I don't know if you had a ton of time to look into it, but it's kind of in your wheelhouse. I was curious if you had any kind of like hot takes or any thoughts on the on the world coin stuff.
1: For sure, I I posted a couple of things about it. You know, kind of playing a little bit. You know, kind of the ironic and sarcastic, the sarcastic angle to it. Um, And I think it was um, Elizabeth from Hello Future who posted like, you know, there are no women in line. That was an interesting catch. Um, but look, I, I think it's a great example of we are, we are a, the, as we go global, as technology goes global and borderless, you have to realize that not everyone and not every culture experiences technology the same and not every culture has the same fears as you might I'll give you an example. I mean, WeChat is used in China, you know, broadly. And there are so many videos, you know, on YouTube and so on around the world where people use WeChat and say, what's the problem? What's the problem? Yes, here's my identity. I need anything. I, I get anything on WeChat. And that is culturally acceptable we might be looking at the us and say what the heck right but that is their culture also the concept of the fear of government control around cbdc is very much a us european thing and i think maybe that says a lot about the government kind of reputation but in africa it's it's interestingly enough for even as much as many coups or military you know, upheaval and political upheaval that you might have have heard over, over the years when it comes to emerging countries. Um, Bank of Ghana has a high, you know, rep, a high level of reputation when it comes to their citizens. Right? And people don't look at central banks the way we look at the Fed. Right? And the idea is sometimes there is a component of culture that is going to eat technology for breakfast, lunch, and dinner.
0: Right. Okay. So what
1: and I think it's important for people to realize that. And in privacy, it's very diverse. So if you're going to do CBDC around the world, yes, I understand that some people might want privacy and want the most private and uncontrolled, but in some other parts of the country that's not the problem to solve. And you would be solving the wrong problem if you focus only on that. It's a dilemma for us, right? But you kind of have to pick somewhere um, make a stand and build for something that's going to address it
0: 90%. Right. So what you're saying is potentially it might be the case where the, the world coin orbs being received with kind of a negative response might be the exception and not the rule. What you're saying is those orbs may have appeared in other places in the world where it might not have had the same negative response as it has had in the U.S.?
1: If it was in the U.S., I S I don't think you have, you would have seen a line.
0: Fascinating. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, a lot of this is about perspective. It's about experience. It's about the place that you live. And it's about understanding that every, everybody's having a different experience and you really truly have to go and share that experience to understand what's going on and, and all those kinds of things. Fascinating. Um, and also too, like, did you see the news about like the? Of course, you saw it, like the 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 Shinhan Bank stablecoin remittance proof of concept. Like I think it was the second one they did, or you know, and the news about the Reserve Bank of Australia and their CBDC pilot. I think that came out this week. Like, you like I'm also curious, kind of like your thoughts on those types of things, just because they're so exciting in the Hedera community.
1: It's it's exciting for us too. Those are great proof points as we go and pitch our CBDC and we talk about Hedera. Those are great use cases that we get to showcase and and help our clients get comfortable. Um, the more transactions, you know, hitting. Um, 15 billion, uh, sorry, 5 billion. Transaction <laughs> 15. Yeah,
0: we're almost. At, how, how many are we at right now? Let me let me check real quick. It's so hard to keep track.
1: We're
0: at 15.
1: Uh, yes, I know. I, I'm thinking
0: we're at we're at 15. We're at 15 billion 940 million. So by by the time you wake up tomorrow, we're probably going to be at 16 billion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think those are just amazing progress right and it showcases how scalable the 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 stack can be and the technology can be um and i know you know, I'll take a, a few seconds to talk about price and so on versus, you know, use cases. Because yeah, I know a lot of people are always talking about prices of the tokens because everybody is, you know, there are a lot of people who are in Hidera community for different reasons. Some people want their token prices to go up. Some people want to build new products because of the technology, the way it works. At least that's the case for us. Um, one thing that I always wanted to share if I had the opportunity is to say, Um, I think adoption is the most critical thing that you can have if you're Hedera. And sometimes people ask, why isn't Hedera focused more on price, on token pricing? I don't know their internal. I don't know, uh, right? I'm not involved in that kind of stuff. It doesn't particularly impact us at all. But adoption is the number one thing that I take with me as I go on the road to talk about Hedera and I to talk about CBDC, because I do want to make the case. I do want to see a public ledger succeed. I want to see an enterprise governance succeed. And when you look at Standard Bank of South Africa being part of the governing council, we'll see if we grow up to be, you know, to, to be able to meet those requirements over time as well. It's beautiful to see the scale and the growth in such a distributed way where I'm in Africa and I'm, I'm working on a particular use case that is very different from what Sunyan might be doing and their use cases and those things perfectly working well on the ledger, using token services, using smart contracts, using the capabilities and the ledger um, without disrupting and being able to scale in parallel. I think it's a great milestone Um, and whatever benefit comes over time, I think will come over time. I don't predict the future. It doesn't matter to us, but the adoption and the use cases being successfully deployed on, on um, the protocol is a major win for us. I I think people should, should kind of keep an eye on the ball on that.
0: Well, Carmel, this has been a fascinating um, conversation and I wanted to, wrap it up with one last quick question that i ask um all the guests i have on the show which is see you guys it's
1: brandon it's not me i'm not dragging it out <laughs> a ton of pressure, so...
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is it's always it's always me it's, that's, that's that's what it comes down to um are there any <laughs> projects in the hedera ecosystem that you feel deserve more attention i'm always curious for for folks like yourself like you know, everyone's amped up about saucer swap and hash pack and all all these things that that we really love in the community. But are there any other use cases that you really don't see people talking about a lot that you think deserve more attention and are more and are really exciting?
1: Oh man, that's a really tough question. I mean I so maybe not a project, but maybe a, a build or at least a, a hip or a functionality that I think Hedera is working on right now that I, I don't think people have a lot of appreciation for is the recovery mechanism that we were just talking about. Right. Um, when I saw Lehman talking about that, I got super excited. I watched the whole video. I got super excited about that um, because it is something that will end up helping with adoption in Closing gaps, and as you think about different use cases, that's going to be applied across different projects. Um, Software Swap, I know Software Swap is a very popular, very popular use case in in the ecosystem. And I think, you know, as they continue to grow and as they continue to build, especially when when we had the um, interruption and service, you know, a few months back. How they were able to communicate very clearly. They were probably the first ones to kind of get the impact and continue to communicate with the ecosystem. I know I followed them to understand, you know, how the ecosystem was recovering, or at least getting impacted, and how the protocol was recovering. Um, but there's so many great projects. There are a lot of great projects on on Hedera. Um, maybe we can we can convince the the team to to put a bit more highlight I mean you know we pay in the Caribbean is is really testing something novel here um, when it comes to being able to provide stable coins across different jurisdictions that are probably sometimes too small um, but together they can really get a lot of um, value out of having um, a stable coin or some mechanism of a bridge currency that can go from country to country um, I'm looking forward to see them kind of establishing good governance and good, good frameworks around how they do that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I'll stop there, but I think those, those are very interesting projects. And of course, Standard Bank also did a, a stable coin, um, is looking at a stable coin in South Africa. Um, they've been working on that for, for some time now. I'm li- really looking forward to the progress that they're making. But I think there's a lot, a lot more new use cases that you're going to see coming, coming on board. If, if we're successful, um, I'm hearing that more and more. When I talk to people who are not particularly keen to Hedera yet, they know of Hedera. Um, so I talk about the pros and cons of Hyperledger Fabric, for example. And I have a lot more people who are telling me about Hyperledger Besu, just kind of check it out. Um, I you know we go back and forth on what are the you know the ideal protocols and why Hedera. I get asked this question all the time, why Hedera from our investors, um, from our clients, from our partners, um, and that's something that we've been able to stand on. So the use cases and the adoption really helps.
0: Right on. Okay. Well, it's been awesome speaking with you. Is there any uh, anything else you wanted to? to mention or plug or any shout outs or anything you wanted the community to check out?
1: Um, Well, I'll, I'll take a moment to do a shout out to the age foundations. They've been amazing, amazing partners for us as we continue to build capabilities um, on Hedera. Um, They've been very keen to see what we can do. Um, the Hedera, um, the Hashgraph Association out of Switzerland, um, hopefully is something that we can definitely partner with them. I think those guys are amazing, right? Kind of thinking through how to put structures in place to enable use cases, uh, because sometimes it can be very difficult uh, to kind of be in the wild by yourself, um, trying to prove out certain capabilities. So having good partners, I think Hedera did that very well of establishing. Those groups and those ecosystem pillars, if you will, to to help us continue uh, to build and present to central banks, and of course now to ecosystem. I think the CBDC innovation kit, by the way, is accumulation of our partnership, right? For us to be able to build, bring a CBDC. By the way, the CBDC innovation kit includes a fully simulated CBDC token called Beyond Cash. On it is deployed on Hidera using to- Hedera Token Service and using Hedera Consensus Service. Um, the API, the open APIs that we provide for anybody who signs up allows you to get a institutional wallet for you to simulate and, ha- and we, we disperse or at least um, provision the wallet with some tokens for you to start your test. And then the APIs allows you to create wallets via your app and the wallets are Hedera-based wallets. Um, and then the other APIs allows you to execute transactions on the on mainnet and testnet. Um, this is very exciting for us, guys. It's been years in the making, um, such a great milestone for us. I always wanted to see fintechs really tap into what they can do, especially when it comes to financial inclusion, and that's very much aligned with what we see the central banks want to want to enable instead of them bringing their own solutions to market. Um, so I think. The partnership has been great. The community is amazing. Um, I I would ask people to kind of just stay engaged, right? Because um, having a community around public um, ledger is actually a key component to sustainability. Um, central banks don't have all the resources um, in the world. And private companies... Um, also have their own priorities. Having a decentralized community that can jump in at some time to either help solve problems, think through new new opportunities, invest time and discover issues. I've had people who DM'd us and say, I think there's something wrong with your website. I appreciate that so much. And sure enough, we took the email, I sent it to our head of engineering and they did some tweak for our security framework. And it was something that we needed to do, right? It was nothing particularly major, but it was something that someone took the time with a white hat on, you know, doing some checks, validating, and making sure that we have integrity in our system. I think that's so, so, so important. That's going to be important in the long run.
0: Community is key. I love it. Well, thanks again so much for stopping by. We'll have to have uh, another conversation soon.
1: Sounds good. Thank you so much, Brandon. Take care, guys.
0: Right on. Okay. Well, that was a fascinating conversation. Um, I feel like my brain is bigger. It's grown three sizes after that conversation, especially about the CBDC stuff and everything. A lot to think about a lot to look into um, and uh, just awesome conversations. I've, I've really been looking forward to speaking with Carmel. So i um, so happy we can make that happen. Now, I want to dive right into um, another big item we have for the week, which is an interview that Max Walker Williams did with Mance. And this video is really interesting for a few things, for a few reasons. And for those unfamiliar, Mance Harmon is the co-founder of Hedera, right? He's the peanut butter to Lehman's Jelly. Um, he's one of the reasons that we have Hashgraph to begin with. And when he does these interviews, like when Lehman does interviews, it's interesting because he can bring so many technical insights. But when Mance does interviews, it's really interesting because he can bring so many business insights and kind of high level components and aspects about the history of Hedera. So I watched the interview. I encourage anyone to watch the interview on Max Walker Williams' YouTube channel, but I just wanted to go through some of the notes that I took on the video of some takeaways that I thought were like the most interesting and maybe share a few quick thoughts. Um, So, first off, I would love to see a comparison video of the topic shared in this video that that, uh, Max did with Mance, but then also the interview that he did with Christian Hasker, and then also the video interview that he did with Jordan free, because there were some discrepancies between them. And it would be really interesting to see a more complete picture painted about a really pivotal moment in today's history when they were pitching those initial governing council members. I think that'd be really interesting. Um, well, I was also reminded watching this video that these are the guys that built a layer one with major fortune 500 companies as validators from the get go. Like, This video made like I remembered I was like, oh, yeah, like Manson Lehman built a layer one crypto network with validators that were IBM, Google, Boeing, right? Like these massive companies on day one. And Max Walker Williams had a a great insight on this where he said, you guys basically created a startup and one of the first things that you did was convinced giant companies to be a part of your startup through merger and acquisition and not only that but be a part of your startup with potential competitors and that's just so crazy to think about it really you you, you remember how much of a leap of faith and how crazy the seed of hidera was right it was literally a startup that one of the first things they did was tried to get giant companies to be a part of their company with their competitors, which became the Governing Council. It's crazy, uh, but they did it. Um, And there was um, another really interesting um, insight for me overall, which was it can't be stressed enough that the strength of a startup is the founder or the founders, right? Right. And the secret of startups that nobody tells you about successful founders and successful startups and organizations is they simply just make their success, right? They just make it happen. It's ruthless resourcefulness and passion. That's literally it. And that's kind of the beginnings of Hedera. That's why it's so crazy. They mentioned also too, Mance said, they're glad they launched in the US. He said, quote, we would not be here otherwise. The fact they were Delaware-based made it easier to convince these original governing council members. That was interesting. And he was asked, Mance was asked about the regulatory climate that we're in and some of his thoughts about that. He said he doesn't see a path in the next 18 to 24 months for things to improve dramatically, right? So Mance saying that he doesn't see things improving within the next one to two years. Eh. Um, litigation is going to happen until the end of this administration, right? The, he says that the entities that have really been targeted by the SEC and stuff are entities with deep pockets. And these cases and these situations are going to be litigated until the end of this current American administration. So that, I guess, is his kind of basis for this timeline. But he also says, we're at the very beginning. Wall Street is waking up. And he says, if there is a catalyst to speed things up within the next year or two, it would be Wall Street, right? Creating these investment vehicles for crypto, the BlackRock ETF, those types of things. Other things um, that another, like, I think probably the most interesting thing from this interview was the frankness from Mance on this point. He said, there are certain players in crypto that would be involved in the industry had they been able to participate from a regulatory perspective? And he directly referenced Meta, right? Facebook with their with their uh, Libra token, which famously kind of copied the governing council model from Hedera unsuccessfully. And obviously, as we know, the Libra project fizzled out. So basically, Mance says they couldn't participate from a regulatory perspective. They saw that window close. And they pulled the plug. He basically said Meta gave up on crypto. This is pretty bold. Um, <clears throat> he says this kind of thing could continue to happen. The U.S. can't get in the lead, but uh, sorry, the U.S. can get in the lead, but we're in the danger zone. These L1 competitors like Meta may come back, but they won't be in the same product categories. The market is maturing. And it's getting harder and harder to launch an L1. Major players are already building their use cases and are working way their way up the tech stack. So what he means by that is all of these major use cases on Hedera, that uh, and in crypto in general, right? On every network, all of these major use cases that we see, right? These real world applications and enterprise and the government and even some of these things I was talking about with Carmel earlier. They're already years deep into their use cases. They're working their way up their tech stack, right? From the layer one up to the user interface that you see on your phone. And so it's going to be hard for them to pivot. So it's hard for a new L1 to come to market. And he says there's not a lot of things that are truly disruptive that you can do from an L1 perspective right now, right? Hedera is really the most advanced that you can get from an L1 perspective right now. Um, a lot of the other networks out there comparable to Hedera are as advanced as you can get. Like he says, there's really nothing incredibly disruptive from this point forward right now that can be done from an L1 perspective. It's all going to be use cases that bring that level of innovation and excitement. <clears throat> um, this was also really interesting. He said... It was important to get the first five governing council members. So if we go all the way back to 2018, when Hedero is becoming a, a public network and the governing council was being formed, he said we were either going to get nobody or we were going to get five. They all had to be compatible with each other, right? These had to be companies that were comfortable going into into this project together. Um, and he said when they got to governing council members six and seven, they were having to update the bylaws to get them to join, right? As part of a negotiation tactic, right? It was the way that the Hedera organization was governed through its bylaws, new participants had leverage to make changes to those bylaws because Hedera needed them as governing council members. And then later on, when they reached kind of a critical mass, that ended. And Hedera was able to say, if it works for these uh, governing council members, it will work for you. and so they they no longer needed to make those changes to the bylaws. but that was really interesting for me was understanding in those early days updates to the bylaws were a bargaining chip in negotiation. Um, in the beginning, they had to show up at a pitch deck. Now new governing council members don't get cold called. There's a platform they're in they see Hedera as a platform they're interested in. And they say Hedera looks like the best platform for us to use. And a relationship gets built. And as and I think this is the governing council member pipeline they're talking about, right? When Shane from the HBAR Foundation and when Lehman and Mance say there's, you know, 20, 30, 40 people in this pipeline, I think what they mean is there is X amount of people that are currently building on the network. There are viable candidates for a governing council membership. And that we have a great relationship with, because it's at that point that Hedera goes, hey, would you be interested in being a governing council member? And the and, and that process starts. Um, he also says that he believes we can get to 39 governing council members within 18 months. So that's the new prediction from Mance. 39 governing council members in 18 months. Um, and he said that he thought we would be at 39 governing council members right now which is really interesting um, but the key thing with that component is changes to how the hedera saw the governing council right we heard brett mcdowell who's the, the the board chair say if you add members too quickly you might have to update the bylaws to accommodate more members Right. Also, there is an aspect of critical mass where the amount of governing council members they have now is enough. They've done the calculations and the amount that they have now is sufficient to keep the network secure. There are the checks and balances that 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 work. Um, He also talked about Ubisoft and this was interesting Um, just because Max asked like, what's going on with governing council members that might be less engaged with, uh, the, the meetings and stuff like that. Um, Matt said, there are some governing council members that are primarily focused on their own solutions. There are some governing council members focused on the governance, right? He said, there's a few, and he's not going to name any specifically, but obviously Ubisoft is included that quote, aren't really involved at all. And I guess that's just kind of the rule of groups like this, is you're going to have members that either go through phases where their involvement is drastically reduced or drastically limited. And it's disappointing to see, but we can't expect a governing council with every member of that governing council being highly involved. There's obviously going to be people that drop the ball in some respects. That's why there's term limits. And that's another thing he brings up is, It's not like the predictions and speculation stops when we reach 39 governing council members. It's a revolving door, right? There's going to be new governing council members joining throughout the years, and there's going to be existing governing council members leaving throughout the years. So there's going to be a constant wave of speculation and predictions, and it's not so much about when do we get to 39, because we may get to 39 right? And we might go back down to 34 and then we might go back up to 37 and then we might go back down to 31. This governing council is a breathing, growing, revolving um, council for governance that's term limited. It makes sense. It's a, it's a good perspective to keep in mind. Um, he also highlights and he really kind of tries to drive this point home that Google is one of the most active governing council members on the committee And he specifically said they are very vocal at the governing council meetings and have helped establish policies. Um, Asked about AI, he says there isn't really a risk of AI for Hedera. Um, And he said when he and Lehman met on a team of five back in the early 90s, it was a team focused on machine learning research, specifically reinforcement learning. And one of the papers that Google used for their Go-related projects referenced Lehman's work. So AI was their first interest. They're not in AI today, but Mance says AI will take advantage of the services provided by networks like Hedera. And we've talked about this before, right? API calls being paid in, in micropayments and all sorts of stuff like that. He said also, too, on the topic of revenue for Hedera, right? We're talking about the amount of money coming in the door for Hedera, which is critical these days. He says there's no straightforward answer for how many transactions are needed. An outsized proportion of revenue will be driven by smart contracts. He says HCS, although it's 95% of the transactions on the network, HCS only represents about 75% of the total revenue. Mance estimates that 10,000 transactions per second would put Hedera as cash flow positive. He says this won't happen next year. So that interview really great gave us a really good um, holistic idea and snapshot of where Mance's head is at right now in regards to Hedera. Um, great interview. Go check it out. Other great two other great tidbits were. Mance saying one billion transactions every two weeks is a drop in the bucket. He says it's one enterprise with one use case. You can do that 500 times. He goes on to keep talking, but he says, perhaps I should stop talking. So that was a really interesting moment in the interview. He's getting very excited He's, he's expressing that, listen, you guys are excited about a billion transactions every two weeks. That's nothing. That's one use case making that happen. Times that by 500. And he has to stop himself from talking. So obviously, um, long time frame, right? He's talking about, he specifically says there's not going to be a huge change from the regulatory side of things in crypto in the next year or two. He also says that he doesn't expect anything major to happen in Hedera as things stand in the next year or two. But the scope of things are so huge. And they brought up the quote that we always overestimate what can be done in a year and underestimate what can be done in 10 years. And so I think that if things continue as they... And again, Mance makes it very clear that his kind of predictions are with things as they currently are. And I think that the variable to take away from this is things are not going to remain as they are right now, right? Things are going to increase. They're going to compound. Um, the crypto winter will end, etc. So Mance's prediction is based on where things are at right now. And his prediction will be affected by how things change, which we can't predict. So it's interesting. It's a great frame of reference it's it's uh it's good stuff to know um we've got a lot of more juicy stuff to talk about this is a longer episode i appreciate everyone for tuning in and and sticking around we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about um but i do want to take a moment and thank everybody for um supporting the show the hashgraph enthusiasts News & Rumors show averages about 500 listeners every week on Twitter spaces and hundreds more on podcast platforms. Over the years, I've covered every major Hedera news event, unpacked almost every juicy rumor, and hosted countless in-depth discussions with important figures in the Hedera ecosystem. And I've been able to broadcast it live with all of you guys right here. How fun is this? If you'd like to support the show, consider making an HBAR contribution like many folks in the ecosystem have been doing. Even a few bucks add up. Um, I'm very close. I've got a new microphone. I'm getting a new mixer. All sorts of things are happening from a production standpoint. Um, I've reworked a lot of the show in regards to how I book guests, organize my notes, all sorts of things. So all sorts of really fundamental improvements that I've been waiting to do, I've been doing and purchases for the show, actually purchasing equipment um, using donations sent to, to the show from the community, that, th- that's happening right now. Um, and I've been offered you know sponsorships or advertisement opportunities in the past. I don't want to do that. I love the fact that this is community supported. Um, so you can send a contribution to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. I love when people do it with a fund memo. I love screenshotting those and posting them on Twitter. The show's full Hedera address is in the podcast show notes, YouTube description. It's in the mega thread also at the top of the spaces right now. So you'll see the Hedera address that you can send a couple HBAR to help out the show um, for folks listening live. Get all the info you need about the show at itsbrandond.com slash H bar. Also quick, mo- quick mention, leave a rating and review for the show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast and leave a comment and a like on YouTube. It helps big time. The Hedera community is still small. I hope this show can help things grow brought to you by listeners like you. Um, the May and June minutes from the governing council meeting were published. I read all of them. I've got some thoughts. I've got some key insights. Let's dive into it right now. So, First off, they've got goofy file names. I just wanted to mention governing council folks, people. I your 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 um May governing council meeting minutes, the file name is called 2023 20 and 21 council meeting minutes, final approved, dot docx dot pdf. That's a nightmare. I don't know how that happened. Also, the next one is proposed final 2023-0614 council meeting minutes. Let's find cons- some consistency. Maybe it's my OCD. I don't know what it is, but those file names are crazy. It's crazy. Please make a motion at the next governing council meeting. If anyone's listening, get those file names in order. They're 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 crazy. But the May governing council meeting um featured an allocation request. The council members approved the allocation of 3.735 billion H bar to fulfill existing contractual obligations for token purchase agreements, network governance and operations and ecosystem and open source development. Members discussed the definition of public and hybrid DLT. So obviously an educational component happening with these governing council meetings. Very interesting. Also, Interesting board of obje- objectives were outlined, and there's one here that in particular is interesting to me. Board objective number three is deliver a self-sustainable fee-slash-rewards model at a defined number of TPS. Don't quite know what that means, but in very interesting. Um, Nelmini Rubin outlined global policy goals, right? she Her being the head of global policy. Um, g- number two that she highlighted was preventing uh, the goals was preventing EU and UK uh, final policy framework implementation from introducing requirements that would restrict Hedera operations in that jurisdiction. So Delmini, from a global policy perspective, raising a flag saying, let's be conscious of what's happening in the EU and UK from a, a policy framework standpoint. It could pose challenges for Hedera. Um, Lehman Beard, also discussed uh, the technical committee's roadmap themes, which included increased decentralization, modularization, smart contract equivalents, next-gen tokenization, community HIPs, and network innovation. And those all sound very enterprisey, but the key there is community HIPs. I like the fact that Lehman is hitting that specifically because I've been talking about HIP567, which is adding a metadata key to... NFTs so you can update the metadata later and have dynamic NFTs that's important that's a community hip there's there's these elements that we want added to the network from the community that have already been approved by the governing council that we're waiting on it it's good to see Lehman advocating for those there was also a use case showcase where members of the governing council or guests would showcase and talk about things being built on Hedera there were 5 i wanted to just quickly mention them so um uh Nicola A discussed ServiceNow's DLT solution for tokenizing climate assets and offering emissions showcasing the ESG command center and Tolum Earth marketplace and beneficial charge 627 in the Hedera Reddit community says um they're pretty sure that uh Hedera address 0.0.3154258 um I think that's a that's a um uh, Hedera Consensus topic uh, is ServiceNow. Uh, they've recently created some policy topics and a Tollam Earth token. Another data point to support this, the topic ID are very similar to the ones uh, to the account 0.0.1682833 created, which is the Atma.io account that pays for their carbon tokens. So basically this Reddit user from the Hedera community over there Kind of highlighting that there's some dots to connect around this service now use case and similarities it may have to Atma.io that has been uh, showcased at this governing council meeting. Fascinating. Also, Shannon D. outlined Quarter Homes DLT solution to disrupt um, the housing capital market, demonstrating a two-sided marketplace for matching investment and capital to home buyers. We talked about that on a previous episode. Go back and listen to that episode where we talk about quarter homes. Psy um, presented FIS and WorldPays DLT solution for stablecoin proof of reserves reporting, ensuring equal fiat deposits for each USDC token with potential future expansions. And we know that USDC is a little different than than other um, US dollar stablecoins and how you kind of have to, um, you know, do that type of reporting and tracking all that kind of stuff. So that's fascinating. Richard M shared Zane's vision for a Hedera enabled global telco ecosystem platform, discussing challenges with roaming settlement and plans for consortium led approach. Fantastic. And then Shyam, who uh, is uh, the head of um, web three at IBM and also on the board for Hedera. I had him or no, I didn't have him on my show. I actually interviewed him on the uh, Genfinity show. With uh, King Solomon. That was a great interview. Make sure to check out that interview. Lots of fascinating insights. It was fun. I got to do a tag team interview with King Solomon. But um, Cheyenne presented IBM's digital identity solution, demonstrating the quote, universal wallet for decentralized storage of a holder's records, integrating Hedera's SDK for DIDs and VCs, DIDs being decentralized identities and VCs being verifiable credentials. Fascinating. The key thing there was, what is this universal wallet that IBM speaks of built on Hedera for doing these things? Fascinating. Now for the June meeting minutes, which are um, interesting for all different reasons. Um, Brett M. discussed dates for an in-person quarter four governing council meeting and other activities taking place in Singapore, including Singapore FinTech Week, at which Hedera will have a presence. Council members discussed to hold the meeting during the week of November 6th, 2023, with the meeting lasting three full days and a board meeting taking place on the fourth day. So, seems like, um, you know, Hedera Governing Council road trip um, to Singapore is in order. Exciting. I'm sure we'll have some some fun updates from uh, Christian Hasker on Twitter running around the airport and such. Um, One thing that was funny about this too is Brett, uh, discussing budgetary considerations and noted the council members should expect modest accommodations. Um, so clearly, crypto winter affecting us all. Tob S. talked about how Hedera's treasury allocated 10.7 billion H bars for ecosystem development on July 14th, 2021 with control by the board. Brett M. noted that while the board controls fiat spending, the council controls allocated coins unallocated coins board members tasker g and monique m said that the initial allotment already com- is already committed to various entities so they requested an additional 1 billion h bar for further development and that's that's a lot of h bar um and it's very strange to see folks in the board being like hey could you guys spare another billion h bar the, the the gazillion H-bar that we already have, well, we've already earmarked it for stuff and we want to do more stuff. You have any more of that H-bar? I know how I feel about it. A director also on the board opposed this, wanting more details on how the coins would be used. After discussion, the Hedera board decided to withdraw the request and will present a more detailed proposal at the next council meeting in July. So that's one to look out for in July. We're going to find out why do they need another billion H bar and what is it going to be used for? We'd like to know. And I'm happy. These are, these are the moments where I'm happy that Hedera runs this way because this is really checks and balances in action. This is governance and this is transparency. Like this is a big decision It was handled in a way that I'd expect that I'd like this network to be governed. It's out there in plain English for everybody to see. And we're going to see what happens when the next Governing Council meeting minutes are published. And we'll have to go from there. But I don't know what they need another billion H-bar for. Um, This is also interesting. The council at this meeting entered into an executive session to discuss a council recruitment question involving a prospective member. So there is another governing council member coming um, and they've got questions. And apparently Hedera has answers, but that is done in an executive session. We don't know who it is. Brett M also talked again, Brett is the chair of the Hedera board. He talked about the work of the proof of state task force, which has been analyzing various aspects of of proof-of-stake models since the May council meeting. They are already recommending a change to the staking rewards algorithm, shifting from a fixed 6.5% rate to a dynamic code-based model that adjusts based on various parameters. The council approved the proposal changes and is expected to implement this in August They also discussed the decision made in June 15th, 2022, regarding the authority to select and adjust staking parameters, agreeing to review this delegation of authority at the July meeting. So, very fascinating. It seems like this month, a lot of things have happened, and I'm really curious to see when the the minutes published for this meeting happening right now is going to be made available some big things happening. And I think that what's on top of most people's minds right now is this conversation around Hedera moving onward from this fixed 6.5% staking rewards. Like, that's very appealing to a lot of people, right? Guaranteed 6.5% staking rewards, obviously propped up by funding being sent to account 0.0.800 by the HBAR Foundation, Hadera, and other entities. <clears throat> and very fascinating, right? And I think that when you look at the various scenarios that could come of this, clearly, if this is timed correctly, it could send a signal that Hadera expects an increase in revenue because to maintain a staking reward rate organically close to 6.5%, the network would have to generate much more revenue because um, the revenue generated right now is not sufficient to maintain that and send enough HBAR to account 800. Um, it's worth noting that use cases like Io that receive a ton of HBAR for those use cases, it's not like Atma is using that HBAR to purchase things outside of paying for the network. So all of that HBAR <clears throat> being used by IO is flushed back into the ecosystem with a lot of it going to this rewards account. So it's interesting how Hedera may leverage that cycle of grant given HBAR that isn't leaving the ecosystem, that's just being used to pay network fees. And so, yeah, maybe this sends a signal that there's going to be an uptick in revenue for the network and the network will very quickly be able to support a native staking rate close to 6.5%. That's a far fetch. Well, what's the other scenario? Well, the other scenario is that they switch to this algorithmic um, method of calculating APR for HBAR natively. And because of the amount available in account 800, the staking rate is going to start to go down. And let's go worst case scenario. What if we see a staking rate for HBAR on Hedera go below 1%? What does that mean? Well, it could create a lot of interesting opportunity for the DeFi ecosystem in Hedera to become more attractive. It could cause a lot of liquidity of HBAR being unstaked to the network natively and instead being liquid stakes to platforms like Stator, right? Or being put into DeFi ecosystem platforms like saucer swap for higher yields so you could also see a drastically reduced apr for hbar natively as a bit of a a, a bit of a, a a catalyst for growth in the DeFi ecosystem filling gaps so there's all sorts of different ways that this could go it's a big change um And we're just going to see how we're going to have to see how it plays out. There's all sorts of different ways it could play out. And it's a big takeaway from both of those governing council meeting minutes. Staking on Hedera natively changing in a fundamental way very soon. That is big news. Um, Brady published an article. Brady from Swirls Labs, um, who is, I believe he's kind of like head of partnerships and marketing and that kind of stuff. Um, He's a connector. I've had him on the show a few times. I'm gonna have him back on the show. Actually, I got a bunch of questions for him. Uh, but, anyways, he published an article in the Hedera blog where he really goes in depth and really dives into the minutia of um, decentralization on Hedera, um, what that pathway looks like, and where they're at right now. And a few key points from that article that I want to talk about um, is. Only two nodes can be hosted by one provider right off the top, right? So if we look at um, governing council members hosting nodes on let's say AWS as, or sorry AWS or Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure, if you're using those services, only a maximum of two governing council nodes can be hosted on any one of these platforms. So you will never see more than two governing council nodes hosted on AWS or Google Cloud, or Microsoft Azure, or any of the other hosting platforms under the sun, which is, you know, good to know. Also, there was a breakdown by country and continent provided, which I think is important. Go check out the article to look at that specifically. Um, that's really interesting and can't be overstated how important that is, the geographic um, separation and decentralization of infrastructure. Um Here's some quotes and insights that I like from the article. Um, Number one, operational risks are mitigated by limiting hosting provider concentration. Clear as day. That makes sense. Number two, a geographically diversified setup also reduces the risks of natural or man-made disasters in any location. So again, that's another key box checked. Um, Number three, Hedera's governance design is separated from consensus. Now, this is important. Um, Consensus on the network, right? The ways in which transactions are routed and fairly ordered and which nodes process those transactions is separate from governance of the network. So what that means is that there's a bit of a firewall between that that, uh, consensus and governance. So governing council members cannot influence how consensus is achieved. So that being illustrated in the article, I think is also important. Um, Further on validators hosted for governing council members today are considered transitional nodes. These are initially set up by Hedera core engineering and become independently hosted by governing council members after their technical integrations are complete. So, This was kind of noted by folks in the ecosystem that why on the Hedera services or the status page does it say um, under some nodes hosted by, you know, governing council member, and then some say hosted for governing council member. Um, There's a lot of investment needed to build that node infrastructure um, for a governing council member, and it takes time to do so. For the time being, for these transitional nodes, and I think there's about five or six governing council members that have nodes hosted by Hedera, that's why. That's what's up. Makes sense. Another point is we anticipate that thousands of public nodes will join to support the network's decentralized consensus and growth, starting with community nodes at the beginning of 2024. Womp womp. So once again... Community nodes have been pushed back on the roadmap. I see this as a huge bummer. It can't be understated how much of a bummer this is. I mean, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but it's not due to actions by Hedera per se, right? It's it's a decision made by the Hedera governing council member to push back community nodes on the roadmap. I think large in part due to how slow the regulatory um, space and climate has been to change. Um, I feel like that's so far behind and it's just so disappointing to see community nodes pushed back on the roadmap. Once again, um, really disappointing to see. Um, But again, I think that that's a, a major sore spot amongst a lot of really good news and great things happening in the ecosystem. But, it's got to be highlighted. It can't be understated how disappointing that is. Um, something else, it's commonly misinterpreted. Sorry. Oh, my God. It's almost been two hours, guys. Bear with me. It's commonly misinterpreted that Hedera's scalability, performance, and low-slash-fixed fees are attributed to having only 29 validator nodes, a.k.a there's not really a direct correlation between a low amount of nodes on Hedera and the performance of the network. Um, you know, it, it's, it's basically um, it, it, it's, it's explained really well by Brady here. He says on Hedera, the latency increase attributed to the addition of nodes should be sublinear. Right. In other words, latency increases very slowly. He- as more validator nodes join the network. So um, it's unknown what the maximum node count per shard will be at this time. As Hedera prepares to introduce community nodes, it's important to clarify that the hardware specifications for these nodes are yet to be defined. So, decentralization article in a nutshell. um, Hedera, I got to go back to what Mance said on an interview um a couple months ago he said it would be a fallacy to assume that Hedera is less decentralized than Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, etc. He argues that Hedera is in fact the most decentralized DLT out there because of the amount of um governance participants actually participating, actually voting and the weight, the equal weighting of the voting. Um, So that article wrapped up definitely a disappointment with community nodes being pushed back, but it definitely paints a picture and makes the case for Hedera being ahead of the curve when it comes to decentralization and governance. Um, Another big story this week was FSCO and Arkaya joining forces. So for those unfamiliar, FSCO, Fresh Supply Co., um, is uh, in the agriculture supply chain vertical. They track food as it travels through all of the different elements of the supply chain. They pair it with payments. Their use case was previously leveraging MasterCard's Providence um, blockchain platform, MasterCard, Um, Shut down that platform and FSCO has moved to Hedera and FSCO's CEO, David, who I've had on the show before, is very forward and very um, um, excitable when it comes to Hedera, uh, to put it to, you know, to put it the very least. Um, Some key points from this article is um, for those unfamiliar with Arkaya. They are an infrastructure-as-a-service provider for decentralized technologies, and they're going to continue to introduce new features so that FSCO can supply their services in the future. Fresh Supply uh, is leveraging archives, infrastructure, and APIs to maintain, quote, high performance and enhance functionality. FSCO has two platforms, the PMS app and FSCO Capital. The FSEO PMS app captures operational data from various sources to increase transparency and automation in tracking goods within the supply chain. And FSEO Capital offers fast, flexible, and innovative funding methods, providing access to both centralized and decentralized finance partners with flexible lending firms. When I had David on my show, he mentioned that specifically, you will have MasterCard payments recorded on the Hedera mainnet. FSEO recognized Arkaya's technical expertise and in infrastructure built on the Google Cloud platform as essential for ensuring performance during times of, quote, heightened activity. FSEO plans to utilize Arkaya's dedicated mirror node access for, quote, guaranteed TPS. And that is huge to me. Um, It's something also that, again, CEO David um, pointed to, he said on Twitter, quote, we like dedicated TPS and has said multiple times that they expect not only to leverage um, Hedera's HTS service. So this isn't like Atma.io where it's just HCS generating lower revenue. FSCO would be leveraging Hedera's HTS service. Uh, what we feel is a higher TPS, which could signal higher revenue generation, which is exciting. Um, and FSCO is considering using Arkaya's APIs like Watchtower for real-time notification to its clients about specific points in the supply chain. So sounds dynamite. I dig it. Arkaya FSCO, high TPS required and leveraging HTS. I love the sounds of it. David seems excited. Um, and I think we're going to start seeing some stuff on the mainnet soon. To be honest, my expectations continue to get raised um, for this use case. Um, steering it back to the more boring stuff, guys, just to get it out of the way, but we've got to touch on it. Um, this is the new U.S. House Financial Services Committee bill um, that passed to protect the right to crypto self-custody. It's called the Keep Your Coins Act of 2023. Some key points from this are: um, they it was introduced by Republican Congressman Warren Davidson. The bill protects the right to crypto self custody in the United States. It's known as HR 4841, and it should, it ensures that investors can man, maintain custody of their cryptocurrency in their own wallets. The legislation addresses. Centralization risks in the market and is seen as a landmark development for the industry. It also prohibits, again, it prohibits federal agencies from restricting the use of convertible virtual currency for personal purchase and other purposes. That's key. The passing of this bill is considered a significant step forward for the crypto industry in the U.S. So, boom, big stuff. Um, don't mess with my crypto. Um, another huge story this week that we have to touch on, and I'm trying to move it a fast clip here, guys, is the, um, CBDC, uh, pilot that was done with the reserve bank of Australia that I quickly talked about with Carmel earlier on the show. Um, some key points from this is Rob Allen pioneered the stable coin with ANZ bank uh, the third largest bank in Australia on Hedera, right? If folks remember that, maybe a year or two back, and I've had Rob Allen on the show. He was a fantastic guest. He's now at the uh, Hashgraph Association, um, but yeah, he pioneered with with you know with ANZ Bank. Um, he pioneered that ori- original stablecoin. The Reserve Bank of Australia is working on a CBDC with a FinTech, uh, sorry fintech, building on Hedera. They're using zero-knowledge proof so folks can't see the amounts transferred. Interesting. And the proof of concept is done, and this is now a pilot. So that's really the key thing here is um, similar to, you know, the Shanahan Bay stablecoin remittance test that we saw in 2021 and their second one that we saw um, and talked about on the last episode. These things are now moving from proof of concepts to actual pilot programs. So, Not Centralized collaborated with partners including the Reserve Bank of Australia and Hedera to conclude a construction sector use case. They utilized a pilot central bank digital currency in Australia to support a stablecoin in the trade flow system. The system allowed digital escrows, uh, contract agreements, and programmed payment conditions enhancing trust. Industry leaders praised the project for its real-world application, potential to reduce frictions in the construction industry and broad um, applicability across sectors. The technology was emphasized as a cost-effective solution, making it accessible for various transaction sizes. So that's another key point is we've seen um, community projects and startups like HGraph.io and Turtle Moon talk about migrating their use of databases to using Hedera consensus service because it's actually cheaper. So we're seeing that same effect in cost savings at an enterprise and government scale. Um, Rob Allen, who's the executive director, again, at the Hashgraph Association, commented on the project, stating that it demonstrated how a public decentralized, or sorry, public distributed ledger network such as Hedera could be utilized for de- delivering solutions, To real real-world problems, and he also praised the speed and delivery of and quality, the solution, attributing it to the professionalism of Not Centralized, and Not Centralized is the team that was kind of bringing this all together, so shout out. Um, So that's huge. Another pilot leveraging these technologies built on Hedera. It's wild. It is truly wild, guys. Um, I also wanted to talk about um, the H Bar Bull episode that was published on Friday and Brandon on the H Bar Bull, um, talking about a few different things, but there's there's a quite a few key insights that he talked about. Um, he talked about um, Elon, of course, right, and the fact that Elon is 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 highlighting how Twitter or now X is going to start leveraging um, DLTs for crypto payments in platform. And there's going to be a huge impact when not, if that happens, um, you know, money, he, you know, Elon says money is just an info system. And he says specifically low fees and a high volume is required to become the money of earth. Um, and of course there's a history of, of Elon with PayPal, right? How Elon joined PayPal already having X.com focused on um, all sorts of different aspects within the financial sector. And then PayPal more focused on just the sending and receiving of money. um, And then his clash with PayPal and needing to put X on the back burner. And then, you know, a decade or more later, now he purchases Twitter and we're bringing forth the vision of X, you know, over 20 years later. Um, So, he also, Elon has specifically mentioned the phrase Hash Ledger in an interview with Kathy Wood over a year ago. So it's clear that he understands what Hedera is, what Hashgraph is, and why it's important. And furthermore, he tweeted out the Hedera symbol um, on February 2nd, 2022. So when we talk about speculation, Twitter, Elon, X Hedera, Hashgraph, there's so much more to unpack here, right? There is um, definitely more breadcrumbs and more stones to overturn. Um, Mm -hmm. There's another great segment on the H-Bar Bull show this week, which was having Elaine and Shane from the H-Bar Foundation on the show to kind of pull back the curtain and figure out, like, what actually is going on? because there's been a lot of debate in the ecosystem, like I talked about last episode that I love seeing, right? Which is um, the 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 community um, debating, uh, communicating some criticisms and folks from the HBAR Foundation like Shane participating in those discussions and indulging the community and providing some of these insights. And uh, Brandon, the HBAR Bull teasing that, uh, coming up on an on a on on another episode i think this week there's gonna be a deep dive with Elaine and Shane at the foundation where they're gonna you know share some key insights but there was a teaser this episode, and um there's a really great um kind of tidbit shared here, which was on the topic of h u s d c not being on exchanges and broader h t s token adoption. Uh, And folks unfamiliar, USDC, right, as we all know, is uh, just another flavor of U.S.-backed stablecoin. You know, you could argue it's, you know, roughly similar, similar to USDT. But USDC also has a portion of its liquidity minted directly on HEDERA as an HTS token. So it's referred to as HUSDC. And the big problem here is HUSDC is not available to a lot of people. So how are people supposed to bring this liquidity rapidly into the ecosystem? So Elaine on this question that was asked by Coinman, the H-Barbarian, she agrees that having central exchanges um, listing HUSDC would be amazing. The challenge is that HUSDC on Hedera, she says, frankly, has a weak liquidity and a low market cap. The foundation's top priority right now is HUSDC, with DeFi partners. And she says it's a chicken and an egg scenario, right? How do you get more liquidity and more active participation in the HUSDC asset? Well, you have to bring more access through a centralized exchange. And how do you bring more access through a decentralized exchange? Well, you have to get more activity with HUSDC on Hedera. So it's it's a chicken and the egg scenario. Um, Now, the work is required on the centralized exchange backend to support inventory and more broadly on HTS tokens. So it's about volume and users. It's about inventory risks. And the best way to get HTS listed on more centralized exchanges is to grow more within the ecosystem, which is what we're doing. So it's kind of weird. It's like it feels the HBAR foundation has pivoted a little bit in their strategy to something that's more in line with what the community is about, which is growing Um, the activity and utilization within the ecosystem here and the HBAR foundation's existing strategy, which is um, casting a wider net across different networks and ecosystems. It seems like they're starting to see um, the opportunity within, you know, having more activity inside of the entire ecosystem. It's just fascinating. Um, Also, There's a clip of Lehman on the H-Bar Bull show on Friday where he says, um, on the question of community nodes uh, and how, you know, I shared how disappointed I was that those were delayed. He says, there's no specific timelines. And he says, things shift, but it is a high priority. They're working hard on permissionless nodes. As well, So that was another key thing. So Lehman kind of saying like, of course, we're trying to push community nodes as quickly as we can, but we're also just as hard pushing anonymous nodes. So that's fascinating. And he says, eventually, we're going to go to a, a gazillion transactions per second, and we will need to shard. So he's basically saying that this is something we have to do, and it's a high priority. So it doesn't feel like community nodes are being delayed from a technical aspect or perspective. It feels like they're getting delayed because of the regulatory climate, to be honest. Um, So basically, that's the H-Bar Bull Show. um, And that was a fascinating episode. I'd I'd encourage people to go check that out. Uh, Absolutely. It's always a great show. Um, And let's dive into the last stories we have here, guys. I really appreciate everyone tuning in um, and hanging on here. Um, I wanted to share just, again, in the mega thread pinned to the top of the spaces here in the Jumbotron. Zepsi, a community member, shares a great refresher um, on how Hedera is positioning itself for high TVL. Um, He basically says and highlights, you know, Aberdeen, right, a governing council member, tokenized 15 billion pounds um, worth of their fund, right, their mutual fund with Arcax. Um, Red Swan is kicking off a $5 billion commercial real estate tokenization project on Hedera. DLA Piper's TOCO network is tokenizing hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. Um, and also TOCO uh and DLA Piper working through quarter homes is working on the tokenized home equity program. So tens of billions of dollars of assets are currently tokenized on hedera never mind the 50 million dollars of diamonds tokenized on hedera or all sorts of other real world assets this contributes to the network um tvr right which is total value represented not tvl which is total value locked a common crypto specific thing right tvr is focused on traditional assets tvl is focused on web3 crypto assets so fascinating stuff um I also wanted to share um I mentioned briefly that the conversations between and, and debates between the community and folks like um the uh, Hbar Foundation those continue um and I think that there was some really interesting insights provided by Shane who is the CEO of the Hbar Foundation and I'm going to talk numbers here guys and these are the numbers That we have not seen yet, but might be useful for people to give them a jumping off point when they start kind of thinking and extrapolating on how much has been invested and how much runway does the foundation have. So I'm just going to read this verbatim. This is directly from uh, the CEO of the HBAR Foundation, Shane posted July 28th on Twitter. He says, quote, there are council members who hold HBAR and not simply because we've given them a grant to fund an early use case. It's also true many public enterprises, right, not just on the council, are working to determine how to hold highly volatile assets like a cryptocurrency, where they don't have mark-to-market the volatility. Here are some numbers to potentially help assage your and the community's concerns. We've received 5.35 billion HBAR, And we've spent about thirty-one point nine percent of our treasury to get the network activity you see currently on Mainnet. If you include the two hundred and fifty million HBAR contribution we also made to account eight hundred, right, the account responsible for um, dispersing HBAR rewards to native staking participants. That's I'm saying that. Continuing to Shane quote, then we've spent thirty-six point five percent. Also know, 94% of our grants are milestone or performance-based, which means that much of the H-bar remain locked until and unless a milestone is achieved by a grantee. So I'm going to pause there. It's not clear when he specifies the 32% of the 5.35 billion H-bar, if that's actually spent or if that's allocated pending milestones. Would be interesting to know. He says, revenue has increased from $288,000 in 2021 to $2 million through June 2023. We believe that we will end the year with close to $4 million in network revenue. There's always more work to be done, but this is great growth. And I have to be honest. I mean, the numbers here, there's still more to unpack. I'm hoping that we get more insights, but... It does seem like it's not all for nothing, guys. I think that the HBAR Foundation broadly is doing great work. I think that there are definitely missteps in communication, missed opportunities. And admittedly so, I think the foundation is saying we need to pivot. The community has ideas worth looking at, and they understand that more transparency is required. So this is healthy. Um, And shout out to the people keeping the conversations respectful um, and keeping a vibe good to go. So those are some insights from Shane, CEO of the HBAR Foundation. Very useful stuff. Um, Also wanted to mention too, like I've noticed folks in the Algorand community getting very upset with the fact that various um, Hedera marketing paraphernalia uh, whether it's the PDF from the uh, London School of Economics uh, with the you know transaction throughput or whatever, and the Hedera website and this and that, um, we you know put Algorand at 10,000 transactions per second or at a certain time to finality. I think it's outdated. We've got Zepsi on Twitter apologizing to the Algorand community for it. We've got the Algorand community arguing about it. Just update the numbers, guys. Like, good Lord, Hedera. Like, we're going to have people starting to fight about something so stupid. And I'm already starting to see people from the Algorand community starting to get more upset, and people from the Hedera community starting to get more upset over literally nothing. Just update the PDF, governing council, vote on it, push it through, and just get it done. It makes no sense. It doesn't matter. Just get it done. It'd it, like just make, make them happy, for goodness sake. Um, Dovu, right? OG governing council, or sorry, OG Hedera use case in the refi ecosystem space and the carbon offset markets. They have a new CEO, um, uh, Christina uh, Meliva, uh, a lawyer by profession and an advisor at Dovu since day one. Looking forward to continued progress from the team. Congrats! Shout out a new CEO. Seems Dovu is doing some great stuff. Um, Google launched an accelerator for blockchain companies. This was announced in Forbes and Hedera got mentioned right off the top as one of the main networks being leveraged in this uh, blockchain accelerator program for blockchain companies from Google. Awesome to see. Um, Also too, Hedera community member at Mr. Underscore T-O-D-L. This breadcrumb is great. There's a platform called Fedi and it appears that FETI, which is a privacy-focused platform for managing money and data, they may be leveraging Hedera um, in some way. They reference using an ABFT network in the video, and it's in the thread pinned to the top of the spaces. The uh, quote is at the 46-minute, 15-second mark. Um, so really fascinating stuff. It appears as though there may be potential use cases out there leveraging Hedera being a little coy about what secret sauce they're using, right? And again, it's not confirmed whether they're using Hedera, but curious nonetheless. Saucerswap has shared some other interesting info and insights into their version two platform in comparison to their version one platform. The key takeaway here is when you're providing liquidity to a um, a, 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 a pair of tokens, right? Let's say it's the sauce and HBAR token. Right now, you get your rewards mostly at sauce token. And as they move to their version two, you're now going to receive more rewards in in the token for that uh, pair, which is really, really interesting. So let's say you're providing liquidity to the, um, I don't want to mention any specific project, but let's say, um, uh, the USDC and other token pair for a project. Now your rewards are not just going to be in sauce. They're going to also be in those particular tokens. So that's big. Um, And this is the last story of the day, guys. This is the last breadcrumb of the day. There's a new player in the Hedera coupon saga. We've been talking about the 8112 coupon standard for a while on the show last episode we talked about their new roadmap and what we can expect this year so if you're curious go back and listen to episode 84 it's big vibes n data is a new player um, they're a platform uh, so n data has built a platform to create and settle 8112 digital coupons for retail channels and partner programs uh, they're built on Hedera. they're leveraging coupon bureau all that good stuff N data another, entity to look at um, in the coupon space. Um, It is a big deal. um, And uh, wow, guys, here we are another week behind us and another week ahead. Before I share my quick final thoughts for the week, a huge shout out to everyone listening live on Twitter spaces right now. Another shout out to everyone listening to the recording on Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And an extra shout out to all the supporters of the show. The contributions mean so much. Um, and thank you to Carmel Cadet, uh, CEO of M-Tech. Um, That was an awesome interview. Learned a ton um, about the CBDC space. I, I hope that a lot of folks listening kind of had a lot of great takeaways from that. Uh, you know, I've, I've been trying to get around the show for a while. So it was great to finally have that conversation. Um, and yeah, so the title of this show was Step Function 2 coming soon. And I think it's been on people's minds, right? And if we flash back to January this year, the Hedera mainnet was running at like nine transactions per second. And it had been running at nine transactions per second for the better part of a year, guys. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we jumped up to 500 transactions per second. And it was a huge moment in the ecosystem. It was our first step function. Right. And now we're at 1500 transactions per second. I'm going to go on the, uh, I'm going to go on the, uh, the do the doodad dad right now. Let's see what we're, we'll see what we're rocking at right now. It's reading 1300 transactions per second right now. And it jumps up and it jumps down. It's huge. We clearly went through a step function and it's about six or seven months since the last step function. We've got a lot of plates in the air. There's a lot of pressure, right? We've got governing council members potentially coming on board. We've got major use cases that have been promised years ago that are we're being told are so close to the surface, right? Like coupons, um, all these different types of things like FSEO with their food supply chain stuff and their high throughput promises leveraging HTS. Um, and then we've got the CBDC side of things. We got the stablecoin proof of proof of concepts and pilots. And there's there's so much happening. It feels the pressure continues to build. Um, we are in a crypto winter, but we've been it's been highlighted many times that enterprises aren't affected by that, and in fact they're going the exact opposite direction. They're seeing a huge increase. The price of HBAR bar remains low. The value on the network keeps going up. And I just feel this pressure continuing to build. And again, I'm going to reference what what Mance has said in the past is the growth of this network isn't going to happen in this gradual ramp up, right? It's going to happen in steps and step functions. And when we look at the activity and growth of the network, we've had a step function. Things have continued to grow. But if it's going to happen, like Mance has said, When is that next jump going to happen? And I want to go out on a limb and I want to say that I think it might be sooner than we think. I think that a lot of our heads are tied to the bear market. Um, I think a lot of people are posting on Twitter saying, man, things are so quiet. Um, There's not a lot going on. Morale is low. Um, I just saw a Twitter post today saying, oh, the NFT ecosystem on Hedera has seen a huge dry up in liquidity. And I'm going to be honest, behind the scenes, um, working with people in the ecosystems, right? I, I chair operations for various working groups, working with all the top projects in the ecosystem. It's the exact opposite. I've never seen things so busy. I've never seen... Um, I, I've, it's never been so hard to get a meeting with somebody. Um, it's never been so exciting. Like it's the exact opposite behind the scenes. And I just feel this pressure and I, and I want to say that, you know, the topic of this space is the idea behind a step function and the, and the thought of when is that second one going to come? I think it's coming sooner than we think. Right. And to put it into perspective, I would picture something happening in 2024. Right. And again, I think that a lot of folks share that opinion. Right. We talked about man saying that nothing substantial is going to happen in the next year or two. But I'm not going to rule out something happening this year, um, especially with just coupons. Some of these like. Again, what Mance said is the crazy activity we've seen on the network right now is due to one use case from one company. What happens when we add just one more, right? Or as Rob Allen would say, governing council members doing multiple use cases. What if Avery Dennison launches another use case or doubles down like they have been on Atma.io? I just don't think it's going to take that much. Again, we, when it just comes to revenue, most of the revenue is generated by low-revenue-generating transaction types, right, HCS. If there was just a small uptick in HTS transactions or account creation transactions or smart contract transactions, boom, an instant surge in revenue would happen. So I just feel like on so many fronts, so much is close to the surface, I don't know. Step Function 2 coming soon. Probably sooner than we think. And that's a wrap for the Hashgraph Enthusiast News and Rumors episode F85 broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific and made available on all major podcast platforms the following Monday. So it's going to be available on all those platforms. It's going to be available tomorrow. So if you missed out on the first half when I was... You know, talking to Carmel and stuff, don't worry about it. You're going to be able to listen to it later. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, you can send an HBAR contribution to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. The show's full Hedera address is in the podcast show notes, YouTube description, and in the mega thread up top in the Jumbotron. The support means a lot. Get all the info about the show at itsbrandond.com slash HBAR. I'll see you next Sunday, and as usual, for everyone listening live right now, if you see someone you haven't talked to in a while, hit their PFP right now, send them a DM, ask what's new, I guarantee you they got something new going on, and if you see someone you don't recognize listening to the show, again, send them a DM right now, introduce yourself, you guys already have something in common, you've been listening to me talk for two and a half hours. So if that's not something to start a relationship with, I don't know what is. Um, And with that, hello future, goodbye past.